This is a podcast hosted by two born witches in the American South, Winter from Louisiana and Amber from Alabama. We talk about our experiences and ordeals navigating the human rights campaigns and political circles we've witnessed. Welcome to The Demonized. I just, I think that it's important to discuss how society slash patriarchy trains us, even as young girls, to ignore our own pain. One issue that I've had since childhood, you know of winter that I've told you about and has haunts me to this day is autoimmune interstitial cystitis. And you can just abbreviate that by IC, but cystitis is, you know, it's basically urinary tract, bladder infections, common in women more so than men, but autoimmune interstitial cystitis is something that lasts a lifetime. There's no cure for it. It is an autoimmune disease. Back in the 1980s, when I was a child, I have I have records going back to Children's Hospital in Knoxville, Tennessee, with this autoimmune issue of interstitial cystitis. And the thing about that is it's not going to go away. It's not going to go away. You know, most autoimmune diseases don't. You have these health nuts and these gurus, and these new agers that say you can heal yourself. You have medical community that's always experimenting on you and doing weird shit that they shouldn't be doing. I just learned to live a healthy lifestyle and cope with it. And, you know, that's, that's what I've learned to do. And that's what basically helps me. But I had to shut down my own discomfort, which is really horrible when you're a young girl and you don't understand why you're burning in between your legs because your urinary tract constantly is infected. You're told to stop worrying about it or just shut it down or that, you know, you're complaining too much. No one wants to hear about it. You can't miss that much school. And I don't know why I had to stay at home mom, but teachers were not. I mean, it's just, it's really horrible when teachers who are adult women do not understand that a child has a urinary tract infection and why I have to go to the bathroom so much. I mean, that's just, and of course, a lot of this did start at Farragut school systems in Knox County School. That's the same school system that, you know, I got the head injury from that they lied to my parents about where the teachers physically and emotionally abused us and where I transferred in in the middle of first grade. And because my parents were lower middle class, like definitely poorer than a lot of the other families, but not welfare poor, but working class poor, they really did a lot of things they could get away with, horrible things to kids that didn't come from a lot of the wealth. Because that area now is actually a very wealthy area, East Tennessee, around Oak Ridge and Knoxville and Fair gets very wealthy. Nor, you know, the quote, normal people there have like quarter million dollar homes and up. And to me, that's just obnoxious. But, you know, like I'll never be able to afford to buy my old house, which was just a plain ranch style brick house. I'll never be able to afford to buy that house because some millionaire built a mansion worth like five million dollars down that road. And my childhood home now, the value of that was just a little fucking house because of some shithole millionaire wants to go in because it was a beautiful street. You could see it was up on a mountain. You could see the Smoky Mountains on a clear day. He oh. just, he, yeah, I mean, this, this, this it knocks all East Tennessee is one of the most beautiful places in the, in the country. And that's and all this. And it is beautiful area of the, yeah. the visits. It's just, it's magical. It is. And that's where I grew up and I'll never be able to afford to live there again because these assholes are just sitting there in Farragut, Tennessee and their fucking goddamn mansions causing inflation because they, they want four fucking cars. So, that's the mentality that hurt me as a child because I saw that because it was a very up and coming place. The good side of that was that I was around a lot of different people from all over the world and different types of people, just not, you know, from ethnic backgrounds, but different religious backgrounds and even atheists, a- atheistic people, kind of like my best friend's parents, 
Brandon's parents were more atheistic. I mean, his dad's an atheist, basically. So I was around a lot more of variety than I would have been if I'd always, my parents had never moved out of Alabama. But it didn't, but it, I was still a child in the 1980s, the early 80s at that, and still a young girl taught to ignore her pain by the adults in my family, extended family. And, you know, it just got to the point where why are you still whining about it? And that transcended or manifested rather in my young adulthood in college when I went through these car wrecks because a dude bro driving where you know, I was a passenger and these men fucked up body parts. Like I just told you my ex-husband, first husband, joke of a marriage, basically ran a red light because he had adult ADHD and was always zoning out whatever fucking excuse he had. He basically just married me because I was a mail ticket and I was a beautiful young girl who didn't know I was beautiful because after I divorced him a year later, we were only married for barely a year. I had a modeling contract. So he ran a red light. A woman, of course, hit us in the side on my side, the passenger side. It, it bashed the car all the way in. I was smushed. Of course, I wasn't in my family. I didn't have insurance. I think I was on 10 care at this point because I'd married this loser. And I don't even know if I had health insurance yet because I had to apply for 10 care that they don't even, Tennessee doesn't even offer young people anymore because the rich people in fair get to have a problem with it. And to this day, my hips aren't even now in my forties because I had to ignore my pain to make a living for myself and this piece of shit that I couldn't get rid of. My one leg's longer than the other. My hips aren't even. I've been to three chiropractors and my neck is fucked up because when I was driving to work, Years later, after graduating and moving to another state, another man, we're on parked in a traffic jam trying to merge onto the interstate. It's it's a busy day. Everyone's trying to get to trying to get to where they're gonna go. And it's during a rush hour. And he decides in this big, huge white trash truck that he's gonna bypass my car and every car in front of me. I'm in a Honda Civic. He rammed it, but he clipped my car. He clipped pretty much the entire fucking back end. And smushed my car in. I'm um, luckily he didn't push me into anyone in front of me because right. I always stay further back. I always leave a good distance between me and other people. That's how I was taught to do when my dad taught me how to drive. And so it only affected us, but it fucked up my neck so bad that my entire cervical spine, that is my neck is compressed and I've lost an inch of height over the years. I've been to physical therapy. I've seen three chiropractors. The only thing that's really worked is continuing up my, my yoga practice. Yoga practice is great for, you know, if if you do it therapeutically, it's great for um, injuries, arthritis and stuff like that. I have a recline table and the recline table, honestly, guys, a recline table will cost you as much as one visit, your initial visit to a chiropractor if you don't have insurance and if you have insurance, it probably won't cover a chiropractor anyway, but get a recline table. That's going to cost you around 300 and something dollars. And that's the best thing you can do for a back or neck injury is a recline table because it uses gravity to pull it all back into place. And you just go upside down and you can do it for as long as you want or as little as you want. But chiropractors were hit and miss. I only found one good one. And one of the chiropractors I saw was actually, he, he actually lost his license. They pulled, the state pulled his license. So it's, it's you know been that's the, bad. I mean, I said, you know, that's bad. Yeah. Yeah. So, when so you there, actually, there no, when you actually lose your license bad. Yeah. Well, there is no fix for what the patriarchy has done to my body. And, but there's a lot of sh people who will shame and blame me somehow for what the patriarchy, these individual men, which it's, it's society and patriarchy because there's no avenue for me to get better. 
I don't take medication. I never have taken narcotics. And you're demonized for having pain because they think that you have, you want a pain medication. But the thing is, I'm deathly allergic to opioids. When I go under for surgery, like they have to really be careful. Um, if, if I, if I take something, I don't know, Percocet, what, what, what are some of the Percocet and all this other stuff? I can't take that stuff, whatever, whatever it is. No, is Percocet the acid reflux stuff? I don't fucking know. So but anyway, Okay. Well, what is Pepsid is for acid reflux. I think yes. Percocet is an opioid. I see. I don't even fucking know. I get all these things confused and they look, they look at me like I'm crazy in a doctor's office because I'm like, what, I don't know what this is that you're, Laura tab. I know that's one, but anyway, um, all this shit that they throw at people or they used to give out like candy. I've never been able to take, so I've never ever taken pain medication. And it's just something that has not been a part of my life because a, I have very bad reactions and can die. And B I'm, I'm not, I'm not one to take medication anyway. It, pilling me is like pilling a cat. You know, I just, I don't like medication. I don't, I don't, I'll take a leave and I'll take like acid reflux medication. And the only medication I had that I took every day of my life was birth control. And you damn well bet I took that bitch. Like that, this <laughs> is, you know, that and vitamins. I went through a period where I was really into vitamins and stuff like that. And doing like, um, I don't like wheatgrass. Remember when wheat, wheatgrass was in and everyone's being really, yeah. So, I, so other than that, I don't like medicine. And I've always been that way since a kid. I remember they used to, I couldn't swallow pills and they'd have to compound everything into liquid. My parents would get mad. But I just, I, I'm like peeling a cat. And, you know, it's a great insult. We had a conversation about the misogyny that I encountered earlier this year at that Rain's family practice out in Rainbow City. It's funny that Rain rhymes, rhymes with pain. But, you know, that asshole, you know, and the heifer that was working for him, the nurse practitioner, they basically um, treated me like, I don't like, I don't know. I don't even know. But the misogyny that I met there, I, I was met with there and the amount of disrespect and just pure hatred because they didn't want to honor UAB, University of Alabama hospital, like a research hospital, a cancer research hospital with Kirkland Clinic. They didn't want to honor their medical history of me, my, my um, issues. Basically, the only thing I can take is gabapentin. And that's not a narcotic, but the, the great state of Alabama and all their infinite stupidity and misogyny decided to make gabapentin, gabapentin. Okay. It's, it, it, it's, it, it, what it does, it deadens nerves, but it's not a narcotic. It's not an opioid. It just, in nerves, like physical nerves, like nerve damage It's for people with nerve damage. They also use it in veterinarian medicine. That's where I heard about it because you can use it in veterinarian medicine and it's more gentle because it's not an opioid. It it won't cause a lot of the liver damage. It's not it's not like the other heavier medications that can cause damage to your pets, right? When my when my cat Morgan was dying of um, lymphoma, she took gabapentin, and we had it compounded for her, specially compounded for her into like chicken flavor. And but the state of Alabama, being full of white trash misogynist, makes this a controlled substance for some reason. And and they do this a few years ago while my cat is dying of cancer. And we have to go, we have to order this, especially from somewhere in Arizona, a, a pet pharmacy called Roadrunner in Arizona to fucking get her medication because of this shithole state and these shithole politicians. Yeah, but their families will never be denied medication. That's the thing. They'll always get it. Whatever, even if it's something is illegal, they'll, they'll make sure that they still get it. 
And see, that's why I hate white people. I hate rich white people, all of them. And I know that there's rich, you know, people of color that are the same way that are conservative. But for the most part, historically in this country, it's been this old antebellum club. Being, let me just say, being a Southerner and never having lived anywhere but the South, I would be curious to, to compare our experiences of, you know, the patriarchal misogyny compared to women in the North, specifically, obviously talking about America, um, because there we have, we hear these things about the South and I have to imagine that it's different, but is it different? It's obviously not different in, in its core or intent, but how is it manifested? Is it manifested differently? Anyway, well, no. yeah, and I hope anyone that ever hears this will let us know. Is it like the American South where you're at? Are you met every time you go to the doctor? Do they treat you like a fucking whore like they do us? Do they treat you like a piece of shit? And, and I have good insurance. I have Blue Cross Blue Shield. My husband's right. a physicist. He runs, he's chair of a science department. You know, I should have some social standing, but see, I have a vagina and obviously I stand up for myself. I don't keep my goddamn mouth shut. I keep it fucking, I, I fucking let it all hang out. I'm like, bitch, you going to be a bitch. I'm going to be a bitch back to you. And I don't literally say that. But the point is, is that, you know, I do not allow them to walk on me. Right. Oh, no, I am not carpet. I am not carpet. And they learned real fast. Now, I reported this Reigns family practice to my insurance company. I did report them. And they actually sent an agent in there. Now, I didn't report them to the medical board of the state because my neighbor, Misty, had recommended them. And I didn't want to get them. I don't want to shut them down because they're actually good to her and her family. But her and her family, they're, they've been here forever. And her, her dad was a minister or is a minister. And so because and Misty has a lot of health issues, too. And if they're good to her, I don't want them to not be good to her. Does that make sense? Of course. Uh, so I'm kind of, this is where I'm protecting another woman. If she's actually found a place for her and her family, I'm not going to completely eviscerate their business because I don't want that to come back on her and for her to have to find another doctor because she took a long time to find a doctor too. Now, granted, she could find one around here because, she, her, you know, like I said, her dad's a minister. They're upstanding people of the community, whatever. But for me, I'm someone who comes in new. Like, I, I didn't grow up around here. I didn't go to school here. I went to college out of state. I went to grad school in Alabama, but not around here. And I'm educated. I come in. I'm articulate. I'm, I'm dressed like a normal person. I'm not sl looking sloppy. I'm not, you know, wearing pajamas or like people of Walmart. You know, I'm dressed decently. <laughs> And, right. and and they demonize that in the American South, where I would be welcome up in New England. I'd just be, and I've been to New England. I'd just be walking along. If I keep my mouth shut, they'd never know I was from Alabama. But, and, and, you know, and, and the thing is, is that I would be considered, oh, you're, you're just a decent, normal person up here. Down here, I'm demonized. I'm fucking demonized for being articulate female, educated, considered overeducated here. I had too much good work experience in my 20s is what I was told. And the fact that I don't look like the stereotype. I don't look like a goddamn meth head. But that's what they want. They, mm -hmm. they want to see that walking in. So this is why the Instagram account Pregnancy Justice is really focused on the county I'm in, which is Etowah County. Because out of since the Dobbs decision, out of all the regions in the United States, the American South has criminalized pregnancy. And Alabama in particular is really tormenting women. 
who are even, I mean, there was even one woman they arrested because it was rumored she was pregnant and she took something while she was pregnant she wasn't supposed to take and she wasn't even pregnant. And she, I mean, it's not like she flunked a drug test either, but they still arrested her based on a rumor. I mean, this is like 1700 Salem shit going on here. And and I know that I'm saying that real fast and I'm explaining it and we can, we're going to link some links so you guys can read what we're talking about. But that's, that's why when you go into, I'm just saying this, in a nutshell version, and we'll include links to, to these articles. But that's why when you go into a medical practice here, they treat you like a piece of shit if you're female. And it is very common. And it's and and I'm I'm old. I've had a hysterectomy. I ain't got no fucking uterus. So you know it's it it, it doesn't it doesn't matter. This what's happened in this country is about tormenting women. And I and I'm just wanted to record this this morning because. I woke up and no, and I, I mean, I just knew, I knew it was the fact that I was not able to take care of myself after that wreck because that fucking shithole Frederick was like, oh my God, because he had adult ADHD. I, he was never even diagnosed. He's just one of those people who would self-diagnose. I think I have this, or I think I have this, or I think I have this, or I think, so he just couldn't work. He could never do anything. And his family had basically kicked him out. So it was, that's just a long backstory. This is also the guy who basically starved me. And again, I was not with them that long. I mean, I got out of the relationship. I got myself out. No one came in and saved me. But he basically starved me down to a size zero, like a double X small at my height. And I was always skinny. I was a natural size three. Mm-hmm. And I was a walking skeleton. I mean, literally, I could take my rib cage and hold it in my hands. And no one thought this was a bad thing. My parents started, my mom started to get a little bit concerned, but they had other things to worry about. My sister's mental health, because this is when my sister was going crazy. So I had to take care of my, so my own issues. And basically a predator like this sociopath whose family was done with them was able to sniff me out because I wasn't allowed to date in high school. He was the first guy I ever dated. Oh, Yes, now you're seeing why I fell for that. Oh, <laughs> yeah, no, time. I know. I mean, I knew that oh, from oh, our oh, previous no. conversations, but it just it blows my mind the, how how on target they can be. Oh, I know, I know. He was it's, just looking it's like a net, like they sniff they sniff us out. <laughs> they do, they do, they sniff us out. And when I was talking to my life coach Diana, I actually pulled down some research literature, some new research literature on pheromones, how historically you know in medical science and we we in neuroscience we only look at pheromones like sexual attraction for instance we in humans we don't think about how pheromones how there is a scent of fear and i remember mm-hmm. i was watching a documentary on the apollo i think it was nasa's apollo mission or the yeah the the, the moon launch you know from and this was the 40th anniversary of man on the moon the eagle has landed and I was watching this wonderful PBS special and one of the engineers in the who had actually been in the control center said that we could smell fear smear actually I'm sorry fear fear actually has a scent and you could smell the fear in the room as they were landing to make sure everything <laughs> went okay and I don't know why medical science why we haven't researched this more and there, I've only found one article, and it was a, a woman, a female scientist who's researching pheromones, and she was trying to prove that we have, like, people can sense trauma, for example, and I'm putting this in my own words, but she's basically saying we need what you said, Winter, what I've been harping on for years. We need to find out if narcissists, sociopaths, whatever label you want to throw on weirdos, on people that prey on other people, 
if they can actually smell something on us? Can they smell trauma and just not sense it in your posture or your, everyone talks about body language. But the thing is I had excellent posture. I danced ballet under someone who trained under Balanchine. I, I've always had good posture. That's why people don't believe me that I do hurt and I am hurt is because when you practice yoga for over 20 years, you danced under someone who trained under Balanchine and you were a Pilates instructor, you actually know how to walk you know how to carry yourself and you don't show it. So it's, it's just, but this morning waking up with that knife feeling in my back from that nerve damage, just from my hips alone, not even my neck, but my hips alone and realizing I've got to clean the bathrooms today. Like I have shit I have to get done just to exist, just to have a really nice home life. And that fucker from over 20 years ago, that fucker is still affecting my physical body today. What he did his actions. And he was never held accountable for running that goddamn red light. The cops just laughed and joked with him. Now, what if it had been reversed? What if I'd been the one who'd ran the red light? But I wouldn't have done that because I fucking pay attention. (laughs) I think there's a pandemic, a global pandemic of a mental health crisis. And it's not going to be the current medical and or academic mental health business industry that gets us out of it. Because what they have historically done Especially in the Western world, if you look here in our own country of the United States with the asylums that were put in place during eugenics, the age of eugenics, the early 20th century, well before World War I, which is where the Nazis, we know, gleaned a lot of their ideas. Even Hitler admitted he got a lot of his ideas of eugenics from the Americans. One of them was a Supreme Court justice, (laughs) Justice Holmes researching eugenics he comes up a lot when it it comes into question about historical figures that condemned women to these asylums and these institutions right Mm -hmm. and you could be condemned to one of these places it was a prison essentially when you hadn't done anything wrong but express your first amendment right like your constitutional rights for personal autonomy or you spoke out and someone didn't like it you know if you were being a mouthy woman a mouthy woman could be someone who's intellectualizing everything or someone who thinks for herself or someone who just says shit no no was not something you need to outright say back then as i remember reading a list of things that women could be uh institutionalized for and one was reading too much right one was reading too much one was writing too much. A lot of female artists were in- institutionalized. Remember our own Zelda Sarah Fitzgerald, whether mm-hmm. she was crazy or not, we'll never know, but I don't think so. She was in and out of institutions. And if you look at her history and her, the toxic people in her life and the lifestyle they led back during the roaring twenties, did she really have any mental issues or was it just the culture that put that upon her that made her go crazy? Because that's, that's the thing. You can get any sort of mental disease from the culture, from the society. You can have someone who's born perfectly sane and this world is so emotionally abusive, just like the song goes, you know, Taylor Swift and Lana Del Rey did that beautiful duet together where the line is life is emotionally abusive. And we look at how the world, the human, the man-made societies, how all the group thinks embedded in our childhoods, it does drive people crazy. I was just listening to another podcast about, not to get off track here, but about the the Catholic church. And it was interestingly an interview with um, a witch who's married to Anton LaVey's grandson. And she works with victims of domestic violence and 
people who were hurt as children, like people who are, who have mental health issues. She's in mental health and she's trying to bring something new to it because she's a witch. So she's bringing the holistic stuff. Of course, she, her grandfather-in-law is basically the head of the church of Satan founder. So they have this, they have this philosophy of self-care, like make it your own journey and, and um, not in a new agey way. It's all your fault. Take responsibility, but they give, they teach you to own your personal autonomy and take it back from the forces that basically victimized you. So you're taking it back from those forces that victimize you and you're not leaning into victimhood. I think that's great Mm -hmm. because it's not all both sides of the political fence and the medical establishment that tells us that we're all virgins or whores. It knocks all that fucking down because you get to decide what you are. You get to take your power back. You get to hold your own. And, And even in several forms of witchcraft, like the Cabot tradition, they talk about sovereignty. Now, the Cabots are more the Celtic pagans, right? Like they call upon the Morgan and those deities. But th- there's a commonality, a thread throughout female spirituality, whether you're talking about some form of Satanism or witchcraft or a blend of that, or you're talking about atheism, or you're talking about ecofeminism, which I would argue has a very strong animistic spiritual sense. It's all about sovereignty, the female as creator sovereign. And she doesn't have to necessarily create physically, but she always has that potential. She is kind of a psychopomp. You know, femininity rides the whole, you know, maiden mother crone cyclical thing of um, death and birth and rebirth and transformation. So Mm -hmm. when you look at that and you see how a patriarchal society, how they can demonize that inherent power, that's really a self power, right? Like it's all about like in, in the East where there's the old, age-old wisdom of, of know thyself and have control over yourself. Like the person you need to control is yourself. That's what it's about. They want to take that from you, that autonomy. And mm-hmm. unfortunately, even though there can be some real gems, like, you know, Jung had a thing for archetypes, even though I don't like Jung as a person, there can be some gems there that, that's embedded in psychology. They got a lot of it wrong because so much of it was bent on racism and misogyny. And right. I'm not sure there's going to be a lot we can save. And, you know, I've told you before that I saw medication and I'm talking SSRIs, not benzos. I know benzos are demonized too, but SSRIs are the ones I have a problem with because I saw them abused. I saw them given out by doctors to silence and subdue teenage girls that were questioning, questioning this abusive Catholic bubble we grew up in. And I had a friend who had a mother that was very much like your mother, very female narcissist, very... I mean, she treated my friend like your mother treated you. It it was bad. It was very bad. And my friend would always take refuge at my house. Now, I'm not saying my family was sane by any means. You know, there were a lot of... But she, it was that bad that she stayed over at my house a lot. I mean, it was so bad. Like her mother would attack her. Her mother was throwing glasses of water and liquid on her just to wake her up in the morning. Just weird shit. Her mother was so jealous of her. And, but her mother was a nurse practitioner And one thing that I saw her mother abuse was SSRIs. Like one week she'd be on Prozac, the next week Zoloft. And she'd just do up and down doses. I mean, and just, and she was all over the place. And and so my feelings about medication when it's uncalled for and there's no neuromedical reason for it is because of that situation. But also what I saw happen in my own family with family members who were put on stuff too strong or that they just shouldn't have been on. Mm-hmm. 
I think that's what the West does. And that goes back to the big pharmaceutical companies that, you know, in the late 20th century, they caused the opioid crisis too. And they caused the Xanax crisis. And now everyone, I'm sure that there's a real need for Xanax, but not everyone, their brother needed to be put on Xanax. And now we demonize everything because they decide that they want you on it. Then they jerk it off you or you off it rather. And then they create an addict. And, and what happens? You either end up in the for-profit prison system or you end up in the for-profit rehab system. And you got to wonder, what was this not designed on purpose? And does this not go back to eugenics, which I'm going back to to talk about? There's a history in Britney Spears' family of what her grandfather did to her grandmothers. And she had, you know, she had a, a she had a two grandmothers because she had a step-grandmother too, from what I remember from a lot of the, the, the research, the investigative journalism that I've read on her family. And we, and I, I can find that and I can give you links for that and you can link it in the description. But in the South, especially East Coast, especially, and there was some out in California well, as well, there are these asylums where women are put, right? And again, a great source for this is, is Women and Madness. The name of the book is Women and Madness by Phyllis Chesler. They basically put women that they can't control, whether you're a rich heiress or a young girl who's going to go off and earn her way in life, they, they lock you up. They put you on lithium or something stronger and they do horrible things to you. They do things like forced sterilization, which is one thing that, that the Supreme Court Justice Holmes was for. He he was all for forced sterilization. That means back then they did full hysterectomies, cut you open, gut you like a fish. And they did this just not to women they couldn't control, but to people of color, both males and females. So women of color, um, a lot of these women were indigenous. The Native Americans, they went after them hard, African Americans, mm-hmm. because it was another way in other area, the areas of the country they could control the African population. And down here in the South, you know, we had we had Jim Crow. We also have the current police state that arose out of the old slave patrols. So everything in this country that some people want to call good, and there may be some, quote, good there, everything came out of racism and misogyny. And we have to be very honest about this, very honest about our past. We owe it to our own our own integrity, our own personal sense of dignity to look at this and be honest and if there is any good, maybe we can salvage the good if we're really authentically true and exposing the horrible, vile stuff that happened and not just trying to cover it up, which these fields have done, psychology, psychiatry, you know, the legal field, all of it, all of it. And the minute you try to cover something up, you perpetuate that crime because you're not addressing it and it's going to fester like a pimple and leak out somewhere else. Sorry about that analogy or that imagery, rather. Well, it's accurate. So, yeah. And, you know, it's it's sad that we can't have honest conversations about this and we can't mull over it and we can't mourn it and we can't treat it like the grief we need to, the pandemic that's running through our society like it is because people get butt hurt and they don't want to. And I have my hangups. You and I have had some very honest, raw conversations. Yes. You know, when I had to be an advocate for my sister who there is no love lost there, but I had to be her advocate. I've told you things that I witnessed. And, you know, I've told you about the, God, the Moccasin Bend, that mental asylum that's still running in Chattanooga, how they built that on sacred Indian burial ground. And they wonder why bad shit happens (laughs) around Chattanooga and Moccasin Bend. And, and that that place has been shut down more than once by the state for just the abuse 
of patients. You know, there are all sorts of allegations, allegations that these orderlies tied women down and raped them and, and sexually assaulted them. And you I'm, know, sure that, I'm sure that yeah. happened. Yeah. Yeah. There, there needs to be some investigative journalism done into this place. But everyone just ignores it. And, you know, right now the documentary is about Britney Spears's ordeal with her father and these crazy ass doctors. They actually declared her that she had dementia. If she had dementia, she never would have been able to remember those dance moves or her song lyrics or been able to work 70 hours a week on her feet. Right. So there's going to have to be a lot of accountability here. And Phyllis Chesler, she does call upon reparations for, for women, all of us, for what's been done to our sex by the United States government, especially indigenous women, women of the First Nations, and the horrible things that have been done to Black bodies, Black female bodies. And this is just, this is something that haunts me to this day because we're in the middle of a mental health crisis. And we all have anxiety. We've all had grief. We've all experienced being depressed to various degrees. Some of us can bounce back. Some of us land on our feet like feral cats. And some of us, you know, just crack and break and we can't put ourselves back together because we're Humpty Dumpty. And all there's nothing that... There shouldn't be a value ascribed to any one of those. You should be able to get help because everyone has their level of bullshit that they can tolerate. And then they just snap or crack or break or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we, we'd prefer to just lock people away and throw away the key and cause further intergenerational trauma by young kids that watch this happen to their parents or throw them in foster care without rehabilitating that family line and create more, we create more trauma and more crime. It's like human society prefers that instead of just fix the problem, just fix it. Let's just address it. Let's just, just start by helping. And how do you help? Well, how about not demonize? Number one, how about just be kind? How about have universal health care, universal health care and just universal basic income. Mm-hmm. And if we do something like that, we can pull the, the universal basic income. There's been several models where we can use our since everyone loves capitalism, we can use our capitalistic system and we can create something like that. You know, there's even one, I forget his name, but he he wrote he wrote uh he, he wrote a book called um, Woke Inc. It's called Woke Inc. And he was on Bill Maher. I don't like Bill Maher and I don't want to I don't want to ping Bill Bill Maher or have people go look this up, but he was on that and he even said that he would even consider a form of universal basic income because it would help the economy. <laughs> but you know, I mean even you know, but what, I don't mean to get off on that tangent. We're not going to go there. I'm not going to go there, but you know, there, there are ways that we could really start to tackle this issue of mental health, mainly by the, by the litigation, that the legislation that is proposed for Congress next year in 2024 to make it to where counselors and psychologists, like clinical psychologists, they can see, they don't have to have like go to each single state and pay a butt ton of money to get a license in that state to telehealth people to do zoom meetings potential clients they don't have to have a license in like say my life coach diana's up in colorado she doesn't have to buy an alabama license to just just to talk to me her only client that she's ever going to have in alabama and my insurance won't cover her unless she buys this license it's going to cost money and then she has to give go through their certification process so there's legislation right now in congress that will pass through next year hopefully pass to basically enable you to pick your therapist or psychologist or whatever, your life coach, 
in whatever state. So therefore, if you're in a place like the Bible Belt and you need someone more open-minded and something like somatic therapy, you can find someone in Colorado. I think it is a travesty that women are required to bear our souls and relive traumas and tell our personal business in order to get fair medical treatment and be approved for medications that we've taken and know our tolerance for and know that know that they work for us it's demeaning it's condescending it's insulting and i'm pretty sure that men don't have to do that yeah probably not probably not but the thing is there are probably some men that they pick on like they probably pick on veterans i've heard veterans say that they pick on them mm. and more like effeminate men you know like maybe maybe they're gay maybe they're not i had a a little guy who was much younger than me that took under my wings and he was gay and he always got picked on always got picked on by the medical community i mean you could just tell it bless his heart he was a wonderful person and he was proud of what he was but he just got picked on like a woman i mean and that's a shame and it seems like anyone that doesn't look like some little church mouse or some appropriate little person they always get just the shit kicked out of them in life especially in red states especially in the American South here. And I mentioned before about my records going back to Knoxville Children's Hospital. But in the second grade, I was physically assaulted and sexually abused by a boy in my class, by a classmate. Now, everyone from every side and angle will tell you that there is this horrible false narrative and fallacy out there, both in the public and private sphere, that children can't be molesters like children can't molest other children but we know they do of course they do and this this same boy in our class he was assaulting most of the girls in the class i was the one that stood up to it i was the one this is one good thing my dad did my dad went in there and took names i'm um, he was like okay this is not happening I mean, my dad was pissed because I was already scheduled to go in for testing for chronic bladder infections, chronic urinary tract infections. I mean, I was laying awake crying at night. And my dad is like, is this the reason that, that she's having these issues? Because if it is, someone may die. Mm -hmm. Now, of course, the hospital, they're like, we can't conclude this because they're being PC, even though it was the 1980s and that hadn't hit yet. But they ain't gonna they ain't gonna say that, oh yeah, that bullshit little asshole shit ass boy, he molested all these girls. Now they're having it's manifesting as trauma in the, in the form of very real physical problems, very real conditions, an autoimmune condition. And and here is a very legit theory out there in the in the world of medicine and science, is that a lot of autoimmune diseases and issues are actually trauma-based things that happen to your body trauma you're carrying in your body there's one reference that everyone knows about it's called the body keeps score the book the body keeps score and the author has been on numerous podcasts there's even a youtube channel the body keeps score and oprah and her buddy whatever psychologist she's writing books with now she came out with a book 
a couple years ago that I read that's called What Happened to You? We, it, her premise is we don't need to be asking people what's wrong with you. We need to ask what happened to you because the body is holding in that trauma. And I was basically sexually assaulted and sexually abused by a boy in school in the second grade on the playground, in the classroom, in front of teachers, and they didn't stop it. This, again, was at Farragut, Farragut Schools. This was the the intermediate school. I was in the second grade, and they had moved me to the Farragut Intermediate School. Primary school back then, Farragut Primary, was the, the, the basically the kindergarten and first grade. Farragut Primary was where I had a head injury on the playground, and I ran into monkey bars trying to run to my teacher because she blew the whistle and everyone had to rush to get in line. You got in trouble if you just took your time. She didn't want you walking. She Okay, I said get in line, get in line. It was the 1980s. Boomers were horrible parents and horrible teachers and all this. We know this already. Boomer teacher, 1980s, trying to be the good little student that I was. I was always an A conduct student. I thought that I was going to clear the monkey bars and I hit that monkey bar, hit me right on my brow. Oh, because I was always a tall kid and I was always growing and I had, I had grown that year. So I miscalculated and it knocked mm-hmm. me out cold. I went back and hit the ground and the girl I was with, I think started, she freaked out. Like, I think she was screaming. She, the, the teacher, I heard the teacher later on. She was, her name was Mac Bay and she was there like, looking like this. She was just doing like that. And I lost vision. I could not move. I lost vision. I blanked out. And I don't remember other than hearing her scream at us. The girl who I'd been with freaked out. My classmate, my friend went, the teacher Mac Bay, get this. You're not supposed to move anybody that gets knocked out, especially a child. She was fussing at me, apparently like screaming from across from what my students, my, my classmates told me Later on, she had been screaming at me from the door. She and the, the little girl couldn't pick me up. So she was mad at both of us. And I was an A conduct student. I'd never been a problem. But even that's a problem child, you don't treat a child that way. Of course I was not. A, a, a conduct student. She had the boys. She had three boys come in and pick me up. Mm. Carry me into the room. <sighs> Mac Bay. This was under um, the principal's name was Chris, I think Chris Ruth or something. And this was Farragut Primary School. Today, I think both schools are together. This is was under the Knox County School System, and I lost. Con- I, I mean, I I could not see, and I and I kept saying, I can't see, I can't see, and she kept telling me to shut up. Um, she's like, you'll just get over. It's just a headache, and she she told me to go lay my head down on the desk. And then she called my reading group and started screaming at me in my reading group. You're not that sick. You're not, you, you stop acting like a baby. You're just, you're just being a baby. Da, 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 da. And, 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 and I couldn't hold my head up and she told me I was faking it, but I was losing vision. I kept losing vision. My head kept nodding. Like I was trying to make myself stay awake. And she kept saying, mm-hmm. Emma, wake up, wake up. I mean, this was an adult. Mac Bay was saying, wake up, wake up. And I couldn't. So I almost, I think I passed out again on my desk and, and cause I had started crying when she was doing that in the, in, in the reading group, cause she was threatening me. 
And then I passed out and she said, oh, you shouldn't still be hurting. I think she started to get worried when I fainted again or something like I, I, I had a concussion basically. And I think right. that she knew what she had done. She had a couple students carry me to the nurse's center. So they lay me down on a cot in the nurse's. I start convulsing and vomiting. And the nurse freaks out and looks at my pupils. And she got mad at Matt Bay. And she said, get the principal now. And they called my mom. We only had one car. My dad was out of town. You know, he, he traveled for work. My mother couldn't get to me. They did not call an ambulance. When the, when they told the principal, the principal, I vaguely remember her being really worried and scared. She's like, well, I'll just take her home. They should have called an ambulance and taken me to the hospital. Right. They did not do that. They did not do that. They lied to my parents. I couldn't speak. I couldn't articulate to my mom. When I got home, they told her that I had an accident in the playground and, and it made me sick. So they didn't even tell her that you had hit your head on the no, monkey no. bars and the no. ground? No, no. My parents didn't know that until a, a couple years later. We were talking about that after we'd moved I think I may have been in fourth or fifth grade. We may have even been in Coleman at this point. Um, and I said, you know what happened, right? You know why I suddenly started having trouble with math? And I, and because I didn't have trouble with math before that, that made me dyscalculate. I have dyscalculia now, or from then on, I couldn't pass a math class. I, I remember I thought something was wrong because I, I started to not see numbers right. Like digital clocks all looked like sticks to me. And I'd learned to read a digital clock. Mm-hmm. Because, and I got, thank goodness, my dad did this. He said, he saved my report cards because remember this was the same school system because I moved in the middle of the year that they abused me the first year that the, the teachers would hit us and stuff and call us um, retards. And I was basically pulled down to the ground and basically beaten because I dropped my pencil. And that, that was one time they punished us. That was the first year, first grade at Farragut. I'd moved in the middle, middle of that year and got put in this really big classroom. And basically they made me repeat the first grade because they made every kid that came into that school system repeat the first grade. And that actually came out. I remember my parents arguing about that. That came out two years later in the Knoxville News Sentinel, the, the local mm -hmm. newspaper, the local newspaper ran like a big expose on this on the fact that Farragut schools had held back kids they didn't need to hold back and it treated wow. us really horribly. I don't, I don't know if that was in there, but I remember I told my parents, but my, my parents were so Catholic and so weird anyway that I don't think they believed me until I got older and I was still telling them the same story and I was consistent. My narrative was consistent. So fast forward to my twenties, I suddenly start having weird issues with vision and start seeing like, something like a mar on, on, on white walls and bright light. Like I'd see, it was like, that's not there. That's I'm not a mar on the wall. Why am I seeing that? Turned out I got diagnosed, I think at age 20 or 21 with cataracts and my eye doctor, I went to two eye doctors and got it reconfirmed. My mother worked at one eye doctor and I told them he, and they looked at me and they, and they said, these are congenital cataracts. These are, these are cataracts you got when you were a kid. Did something happen? I mean, they, Here. And I said, I had a head injury and I told them the story and they're like, okay, you're going to need to get those removed, but not right now. It's not time. 
you know, you don't want to have to wear reading glasses at your age. Wait till you get up to be about 40, well into your 30s, then get them taken out. And that's what I did. I had to have, I had to have cataract surgery at age 35 because I was abused in the Farragut school system, abused and neglected. And they deny to this day that kids can molest, that boys can molest girls, that boys aren't predators. They're, they're not taught that by their fathers and stepfathers and whatever male figures they watch on TV. Do the you remember that, the boy's name? Because I would be curious to see how many times he's been arrested for rape. He, he went by Buddy. He went by Buddy. I don't remember his last name or his first name, but everyone just called him Buddy. That was not his name, though. But okay. he went by Buddy. Yeah. So in that, I, I wish I could find his name, but they stopped talking to me at Farragut. Before, okay, before the pandemic in 2019, I contacted them and told them all this and said, you know, I'm in my 40s now. There's going to be a come up, come up. I want to know what happened to the other children because that year, the first year of first grade, I was put into a group of kids. We were the lowest reading group, but a lot of us, see, I, I, I could already read chapter books in the first grade. So my parents were confused. Why, why is she in this reading group? They're like, well, she didn't do well on this test or this or that. Da, 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 da. And they're like, that doesn't make sense. They basically lied. And my mom was a stay-at-home mom. She didn't have a car. They were just barely middle-class. So they dismissed my mom because she, Farragut was, has always been a rich area because of the industry there and Oak Ridge being so close. She didn't come in with a, with a, the proper purse and shoes and all this shit. So they treated my mom like trash, basically, even though she was, was well-spoken and well-read. And so was I, they pegged me as low class because they wanted me to fit that narrative so they could of demonize a, a pretty girl, just a cute girl. I mean, I'm, I, I don't know if. I would have been considered pretty back then, but I was not a snotty kid. I was actually, like I said, nothing made sense because I got A's. I got good marks in conduct and behavior. I was quiet. In fact, when they were trying to find something wrong with me, they would say she's too quiet. I mean, it was utterly ridiculous. And so you said they stopped, they stopped talking to you. Yeah. Farragut. Farragut stopped. The school system stopped talking to me. So I, I called the superintendent back in 2019 and they just stopped talking to me. The, all his office, he never did talk to me because he's a mofo. He never did talk to me. Uh, he didn't want to hear it or deal with it. And I talked to his secretary. He was really kind. And I talked to another woman that I contacted finally last year. I waited till well after the pandemic because we all had more things to worry about in 2020 and 2021 as well. So it wasn't until last year, 22, that I picked it back up and started again. And they wouldn't, they would not, enter, I mean, they just wouldn't entertain the idea that maybe they fucked up years ago before they were even there. It wouldn't have been on their watch. But see, they won't admit it because they know it's still going on. That's what I think. If they allowed it to go unchecked back then, you know, and they won't come out and say, hey, we're better now. You know, there's, there's some bullshit going on. So, and I, and I told them that, I mean, I flat up told them that I bet you that this, you know, you have kids right now that are hurting because you have bad teachers and, and school social workers, what a fucking joke and school counselors, they're, they are part of the problem, but back to Farragut. Yes. They basically co ghosted me because I told them that, you know, all throughout 
my experience there, because after the fourth grade, we moved that summer. My parents had learned not to move kids in the middle of school years because of what happened to me. They finally got a little bit wiser and moved us at the end of the school year. And I was going into the fifth grade. Well, I, I finished fourth grade at Farragut. And they always called me retarded. I mean, they I, I know that word's so taboo now, but the teachers used to call kids that to their face in class in front of other kids in the 1980s. And this was the Farragut school system that all the wow. little rich kids go to. Yeah, it's, it's the public school system that all the rich kids go to now. It's the top zip code, which it it was on its way there back then, but you still had some middle class and lower middle class. You still had a mix of people all different types of people from all over, all different types of ethnic backgrounds, all different types of religions. You don't have that now so much in Farragut. So yeah, it's, it's, it's gone more wider than what it was when I was there, especially the neighborhood I lived in that was a little bit of an older neighborhood. Now it's been gentrified. It's, it's really quite sad. It's so sad. Well, but I remember I, you saying that you couldn't afford to buy a house in your old neighborhood. Right, right. And that that bothers me to this day. But I, um, that, that's basically the neglect that I experienced in the Farragut school system, you know, and, and, and it, this was a school system that had won lots of awards. That's why my parents wanted me in there, but damn, they treated the poor kids like shit or even kids that they wanted to perceive as poor. And this included, you know, international students. It it included, um, the African-American students they, these white boomer teachers, you know, treated these kids like, like we were just trash in a trash can or litter on the ground and, and, and they got away with it and they've never been called out until now. Like I'm one of the few people that's ever spoken about this. And I think about those kids that I sat next to that they put me in, in the low reading groups, even though I was very strong at reading. And I remember thinking, oh my God, what are, what are they doing to us? But a lot of these kids were truly from pitiful situations. And I bet you now they are not doing well if they're even alive because of what this school system did to them. It was a predestination to where they knew that they were going to ruin the children, that they were going to call them stupid and dumb and keep them in low groups. And it, and this is when everyone was going by standardized testing, like that determined if you were smart, if you got in a high group or not. And there are very few kids that were ever good at that anyway. And they basically right then wrote their futures. And that is terrifying. I fought tooth and nail. I fought all the way through school not to make them define me. In spite of the Farragut school system, I sit here with two degrees and I'm married to a physicist and I've been to Europe. I've traveled, you know, and that would piss them off. My second grade teacher, Taylor was her name. That was her last name, Taylor. She told my mother that I would never be the kind of student that would graduate and even go to junior college. She 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 actually said this to my mother's face. She wait, what what year was that? I was a I was a second I was I was in the second grade. This I was thought the second, second grade was uh McVeigh or McVeigh. McVeigh was McVeigh was the first was the second year of first grade. Remember? Oh, I when you had to repeat first grade. first grade. I apologize. Okay. Right, right. So remember, I repeated the first year of first grade because of the the scandal that they did, that they held back all the transfer students, the students that transferred in, 
And that was the two abusive teachers that called us names and basically physic physically put their hands on us, physically abused us as well as psych psychologically. Mac Bay was the second year of first grade where I had the head injury and she lied about it. She she didn't even she didn't want to tell anybody when the school found out. They didn't even punish her because they all covered it up together. So second grade with Taylor, that was the grade grade that the boy molested and assaulted girls. The buddy, the boy that you said that you'd like to know if he's in prison or not. Yeah. And that was that. So Taylor was the teacher that allowed this, and she knew it was going on. She saw it. She was the teacher that allowed this boy to physically assault girls, little girls. She she was a, she liked boys, but she didn't like girls. And the way she treated girls and boys was stark. And we were little girls. We weren't even teenagers. We weren't even in that so-called bad stage where teachers really hate girls like middle school. We weren't there. We were in second grade. So we were at that age. And they were already demonizing us for being female. Female teachers, older women teachers were demonizing little girls back then. And it was very much, you know, the attitude, if we complained about the boys or told on them, we must have done something to, to ask for it. Like, what the fuck does a little girl in the second grade do to ask to have her, basically her vagina grabbed by a guy and twisted and, and be thrown? I mean, the way this, this kid assaulted us was very much like a human, like a full grown human male. And she knew it was going on, did nothing about it. The school knew until my dad walked in there and stopped it for all the girls. There was nothing was done and guidance counselors, social workers. I mean, they knew they just didn't care because it was happening to little girls. Well, and these I'm, were women, the, these were older women. So, I, I, I'm sitting here wondering <clears throat> what whether this whether this child this this boy who was molesting his female classmates was a born psychopath or if he was modeling what he saw either way the girl should have been protected and he should his family should have been investigated right I don't think that happened because he stayed in the class. He was kept away from us for a while, but but he he wouldn't touch us after that. So something happened. Words were exchanged, probably with his parents. I I don't I don't really care about him. I don't care if something happened to him or if, or, or if he's a born psychopath or if or if he witnessed something because I don't fucking care. What he did to me is unforgivable, and I am not a Christian, therefore I do not forgive. So I don't really fucking care about him. And I and I know you probably don't as well because it, it doesn't even if he was a victim himself it doesn't absolve him it doesn't make not. it right hurt no. people hurt people and boys are horrible at becoming predators more so than girls like boys there's statistically it's almost a guarantee that a boy will become a predator and that's just a fact that we've got to deal with as a society and we can't excuse it. Well, this happened to him when he was a little boy. So it's really not his fault. Yeah, it happened to him. And it's also his fault. He perpetuated it. He, you know, this is why we have generational violence, generational trauma, generational abuse. This is why well, it impacts epigenetics. 
the 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 political elite and the and you know the the social elite will do somersaults and headstands and mental gymnastics before they'll address the problem of male violence so you know when the when i i, I was i was speculating on the 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 source of his behavior merely to point out that i, I guess i didn't really clarify this in my head oh, you I was thinking, you were great. that if he were if if he were seeing that at home then that meant that there was another woman being abused oh yeah and there, there, there did nothing yeah. about that either right you know it's just like the women are women are are collateral damage in in the in ignoring male violence. Yeah, and, and it shows us how, how young male violence starts. You know, he could have had a mother, a sister. He could have had cousins that, that were done that way in his own family. Um, this is, I mean, it's terrifying to know what kind of women and girls live through that all because it, it, male violence is ignored. And the fact that we ignore it in, in boys basically is why it continues yes. because oh and older women sometimes are the worst they're like oh well he's just a sweet little boy he didn't know that he was grabbing your vagina uh yeah he did the old now, well if he hits you he likes you oh or he pulls your hair he likes you are telling girls you better you better cover up more you know because guys are starting to notice right and 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 so the fuck what? Who's responsible for where their eyes go? They are. They're responsible for their actions. They're responsible for their words. They're responsible for what they do. You should not have to have girls wearing like long sweaters in fucking winter because guys can't keep their eyes off of their bare arms or girls that can't wear um, spaghetti strap dresses because guys won't leave them alone. That's bullshit. Guys see each other with their shirts off all the time. You know, go uh, go molest each other, you little fuckers. Dude, <laughs> right. boys, are so gross. boys are so gross. But, you know, it, ironically, my best friends were the type of boys that were picked on. The, the type of boys that were dorks or that fell through the cracks, not from bad behavior, but because they just were sensitive or they were right. a, lot of, a lot of them turned out to be gay. <laughs> so, you know, those were the my, my friends were the the guys that were nonviolent and got shit because they were nonviolent. So there are boys that are nonviolent and they're the ones that get trashed too, you know, and, and the teachers don't do anything to take up for the, those boys, whether they're, they're labeled effeminate or whether they're just smart guys that want to want to talk about, I don't know, robots and science fiction, they get shit too. And I've seen teachers encourage these violent boys to pick on those those quiet boys are the boys that are brainiacs or or even what we would call special needs kids now they call them differently able able or neurodivergent whatever the proper term is but back in the day i witnessed teachers that actually encouraged these violent boys to pick on kids that, that had some kind of disability and that's sad Thank you for listening to this episode of the Demonized Podcast with your hosts, Amber and Winter. Please check out our website at thedemonized.com 
for more information, links mentioned in this podcast, and upcoming episodes.